were two things. It was the results that you were getting as a top performer. Like it was the snickering about, oh, it's has something to do with the way that you look. Like that's why you're hitting your number. And you know, that's a pretty pervasive thought. It gets in your head inception style. And so there was that piece of it. And then there was, you know, literally what you deal with from your prospects and sometimes clients as a female salesperson that is supposed to cater to, you know, your buyers. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Amy Rohovchik. She's a channel director at Sales Hacker. And a few weeks ago, I read an article that Amy had written about the mental health challenges that salespeople face day in and day out. And what particularly struck me about the article was Amy's courage in revealing and talking about her own struggles with mental health. So I asked Amy to come join us on this show to talk about mental health in sales and to share some more about her story. And perhaps it will inspire any one of you who are listening to this to pay attention to your own feelings, to seek out help or to someone to talk with if you're in need. I mean, sales has always been a lonely profession, but never more so than now. When we're all away from the office, working from anywhere, isolated from our colleagues and sources of support. So this is the first of what we plan will be frequent conversations about this topic. So hope you enjoy it. All right, let's jump into it. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. Delighted to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. So where have you been hiding out during the pandemic? I have been toughing it out on the Jersey Shore. With oh, really? Since, since March? Yeah. Yes. I, I actually made the decision to come right, right early on in the beginning. And it's been particularly um, fun, uh, you know, during the summertime when you can just go to the beach at will. Yeah. Okay. So Jersey Shore, not a bad place to be. Um, so you had written an article about mental health challenges in sales and and actually talking about your some of your own mental health challenges and, so, and I read that and was struck by it and said yeah I need to invite Amy to come on the show and talk about this because I think it's such an important topic I'm so pleased to hear you say that because I I obviously agree a little biased but agree wholeheartedly and I think more more notably your willingness to engage so quickly with someone that just, to your point, wrote an article. Um, I think it speaks to your character. And, you know, I, I'm honored, as I said, to be here. And I'm excited to, you know, forward this particular dialogue, um, you know, for as long as as uh, people are are excited or interested to to hear from my experiences. Well, I think, well, I'm glad you're here. And it's, it's you know, I, I'm concerned that this gets too little notice because, to your point, is when we talk about improving sales performance, is rarely does the topic come up and say, "Well, okay, well, what about what about mental health as a component of that?" Because it clearly has an impact, and I speak from personal experience as well. As I mean, I. You know, one of the darkest times of my sales career from a performance standpoint was when I was going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as your marriage falls apart and so on, is, is you know, the stresses and, and everything that come with that. 
are, yeah, they have a huge Real. impact on you. And you, and you, yeah, we try to, sales has always been this sort of stoic environment, right? Where we're supposed to swallow how we feel, but it has such a huge impact. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And I think the impact that mental health has in, I think, any kind of performance-based industry um, is is very real. And I, I draw correlations to um, athletics quite often. Sure. With, with You know, I, I, I did listen to many of your podcasts, and I'm delighted that we can have this, this kind of <laughs> like common ground. So we could definitely talk about that. But yeah, any, anywhere where you've got a performance-based um, team of people, mental health is a, is a major factor. But I, to your point about being concerned, like that, it's an, that there's too little noticed on this um, topic is, is almost in my opinion, like not strong enough a statement because it, it's amazing how many people we burn out, um, in, in the sales profession on all, Mm -hmm. on all, um, sides of the scale, the performance scale. So these are your failure to launch folks as well as your top performers who just straight burn out. And so the waste is, is extreme, but these are also human beings that we're talking about. So, uh, yeah, I I started talking more about this about a year ago on my show is, is, and I, I was inspired actually by, and I've mentioned this, by watching the show Billions. And about, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched Billions, but about a hedge fund. Um, and you know, one of their key employees is a staff shrink. And you know, that here in this high-pressure trading environment, uh, you know, someone's struggling with something on a personal level or they think they've hit a rough patch and just not connecting with the customer or burnt out or whatever is to make an appointment with the staff psychiatrist for some talk therapy. And it's, and it sort of struck me. It's like, wow, you know, you look at sports and there's not a major league sports organization. I'm pretty sure in the major sports and certainly soccer, which is my big one. They have staff psychologists, they have staff sports psychologists. They have you know people there to help because they know that, they're in a performance-based business with individuals that have yeah, complex lives, <laughs> and they struggle with this. And so in order to help them perform when they're needed, they provide this level of support. Yeah, they have this resource. And you know, I think one of the reasons that the article has um, resonated as well as it, as it has was the the flipping of the message to you know, the upside potential by you know, taking the reins on the mental health um, of your team or uh, of you as an individual. And that could obviously be the competitive advantage that it entails. But I, I mentioned that because when you, I, I make this statement often and I, I'm laughing that I'm about to make it again. However, I, when I'm poking fun at, at sales leaders that are unwilling or uninterested in investing in their people to this level, I, the joke is, you know, I wonder how hard we, Bill Belichick had to be convinced to hire a sports psychologist to, you know, help not only his team get through the tough times, but to mentally prepare and deal with even the nerves of, of performing. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, right. So, you know, one stat that's drawn out quite a bit, not about, you know, uh, mental health per se, but, you know, they talk about coaching, you know, effective coaching and sales. Uh, the one study everybody cites is the single best thing you can do to contribute to an uplift in performance. They you know, said like an 18% improvement in performance based on effective coaching. Well, what we're talking about is if if you have, you know, applies to mental health as well, right? I mean, for people who who are prepared, as you said, to encounter the stresses, and prepared then also to to know mentally how to deal with the stresses and the challenges and so on, is yeah, the payback for making available, and I think in a sales organization of of I don't know what the the cutoff would be because you know, obviously it'd be hard for startups, but for you know, in the tech world, there's tons of companies of sufficient size to say, yeah, we should have this type of resource on staff if we're truly committed to being a performance-based business. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's one way of handling it. I, I think another way is to focus on the coaching skills at the management level. And I mean, I think about all the one-on-ones that I've sat through as a seller or observed um, during my time in, in sales enablement, which has been about, I don't know, like five years now. And it's it's incredible how much room for improvement there is on the on the management coaching side of the house. And so, yes, you know, is a, a specific dedicated, um, resource like a, a therapist, hopefully if we're, if we're doing performance coaching, it's, uh, cognitive behavior therapy, but I, I think it can even be a little bit closer to home than, than that. Sure. Well, I, I yeah, well, sort of unpack this because, you know, I think it so much of it starts with just, and you appoint this in your articles, just the culture that exists within most sales organizations. And that really inhibits any sort of conversation. And I think it's it's not just that it's historically served these, you know, said stoic macho cultures. And it's something a realization I've come to a greater degree, you know, as I've progressed further in my own career, is that it's fundamentally about fear. You know, like the most sales cultures are driven by that. It's, you know, fear of not hitting the number, fear of being fired, fear of disappointing people, fear of not being enough or not feeling like enough, sort of the imposter syndrome, fear of expectations. And you sort of, you know, address this in your article is, is this, you know, very real syndrome that the psychologists talk about called achievementophobia, which is successes yeah. cause increased expectations and yeah. and it makes it hard for people to perform at that point. Yeah. Because they don't want to perform because they know if they do succeed, more is going to be expected of them. Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely spot on. But it's just, how do we, yeah, it's like the challenge I think ultimately starts with how do we break the cycle of fear that somehow you're going to be considered less than if you admit either as a sales leader or as an individual contributor that you've got issues you need to deal with. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so true. Um, yeah, so I have a, a green belt in process improvement, which is only something I mentioned because I run everything through this process improvement filter. And I apologize in advance for that because I know how fun like PI conversations can get. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I think fear is a big piece of it. And 
it reminds me of my one of my first books that I read as a as a aspiring salesperson, which was feel the fear and do it anyway. But I think there's a, a bunch of other factors too, mm-hmm. and and like for example, lack of awareness. I I forget the gentleman who wrote it, but there it was a commencement speech at Kenyon College, I think in 2005, and the topic was or the subject was called "This Is Water," and he starts off the commencement speech talking about how there's like three fish and they're all you know swimming together, or there two of them are swimming past one other one, and the the older fish says to the two little ones, you know, "How's the water today?" And the two little fish look at the older fish and, and say, what's water? And it, that parable really resonated with me because I think there, there's a, a lack of awareness around what the problem is, how big it is, um, what the upside potential is, as we mentioned. Um, and then, of course, there's the the systematic challenges that come into play, like, you know, the unhealthy competition frameworks internally or lack of infrastructure for peer-to-peer development, which is the best way that sellers learn, as we know. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I'll even take it a step further on the management level. You know, there's something called the four stages of competence. And just really quickly, the bottom is unconscious incompetence. So this is where that lack of awareness comes in. After that, though, comes the harder or the, excuse me, the hardest stage out of all of them, which is conscious incompetence, moving through to conscious competence and then, you know, acting without doing habitually. So unconscious competence. But anyway, in that third and hardest stage, you really have to look at yourself and look at your own um, gaps in your, your core competencies or your own skills. And that's a a hard thing to do. Hard thing to do. I, I equate it to, you know, getting up and getting ready in the morning and staring at, uh, what, what my women friends will know lovingly as the mirror of truth, which is that mirror (laughs) that's magnified like 20 times on your dresser where you apply makeup. Anyway, so staring in the mirror of truth is hard and it's much easier to, you know, close the book or look away. And I've, I, I think that that's a big part of, of the problem as well. And I'll even add one more that you yeah. touched on in a different podcast, which is this idea of not being able to institutionalize or operationalize um, the the changes that we want to see happen. So mm-hmm. I think that's another massive piece of it too. Yeah, well, I mean, just from a scoping standpoint, as you know, we talk about self awareness. Is is you write in your article that salespeople are. Th- three times more likely to struggle with mental health symptoms than the average American. And sort of interested where you, where you found that or you know, how current that, that data was. <laughs> where I got those numbers from. It's so great. Um, yeah. So I had a phenomenal editor on this piece um, over at Sales Hacker, Michael Aragon. Thank you, Michael. But anyway, we went back and forth about how to present the data at the beginning. And I originally had the links in there. So um, that would have, I, I'm glad you asked the question. So the numbers came from two places. Um, it was the CDC numbers of mm-hmm. Americans that are reporting, um, problems with symptoms and it was for two years in a row. So it was last year and then this year. And I believe, um, 
yeah, maybe it was like the end of last year and then in, Ma- in March or something to that effect, but right. it was before COVID and then during COVID. And then the yeah. second piece of that is is the research that is coming out of a phenomenal organization called the Sales Health Alliance. And right. when I got into like actually like researching for this piece, it I, it was part you know, totally expected to not find anything about sales and mental mm-hmm. health. But at the same time, I was delighted to um, come across the Sales Health Alliance and, and its founder, Jeff. But anyway, so Jeff has done some fantastic work about um, gathering data and, you know, packaging it in meaningful ways that drive these, these conversations. So CDC and Sales Health Alliance. All right. But I mean, let's just repeat that so that you know people are listening you know understand is that you know three times more likely than the average person to struggle with mental health symptoms so and we'll you know continue to sort of dig into this but it's like yeah you have to to your point you have to have the self-awareness to understand that you may have felt this way for a long time and may think hey this is just the normal part of, of being in sales but it's not no it's not it's it's not. And the the challenge with not recognizing that you're what water is when you're in mm-hmm. water. And then, you know, the I, I reference also the filter bubble or the echo chamber that is just echo chamber, rages sure. um in, in in our profession is it it just perpetuates these, you know, inaccurate beliefs. But yeah, so three sellers are three times more likely to struggle with mental health symptoms. And I, I'll even take that a step further. When I first um, compared apples to apples, both in the CDC study to Jeff's study done during identical time periods. Um, I, I then cross-referenced it in the middle of COVID. So I was able to look at the CDC numbers and the average American struggling with symptoms during COVID, and it had tripled, Right. So yeah, my right. uh, my assumption, and it's a loose one that I make in the article, but mostly for dramatic effect. But the idea is, if the average American symptom rate has tripled now since COVID, then what do we think that's doing for the the salespeople? Um, and it's a staggering number when you when you get into it, just to think that you know, over 90%, that's what it ended up coming out at over 90% struggle with symptoms. But I think, um, you know, it's worth having a conversation of, of scoping or defining what, what counts as symptoms, um, specifically ones that we can see or feel and ones that, that we can't necessarily see or feel. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's just, it's, it's insane. Well, Pun yeah, intended. The bottom, <laughs> yeah. Well, the bottom line is no one escapes, I think. Right. I, in my long career, uh, working with hundreds and thousands of sellers and managers and so on is, is, yeah, I don't think anyone ever escapes unscathed. And the question is whether they ever did anything about it or sort of came and went or so on. But, but I was wondering, are you okay if we get into your story? story? Yeah, of course. So, yeah, you fairly dramatic in your your articles that uh, you spent time in a treatment facility. And um, tell us what happened. Yeah. So I think it, it was 
a culmination of many things leading into the the treatment facility. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I want to just preface that by saying that I, I consider my story to be now like in two phases. And the first was, you know, starting with the decision to seek treatment. And then the second was, and more interesting one, I think, was, um, you know, reclaiming my power back after mm-hmm. kind of going through the system. But, you know, just for, for continuity's sake, the the treatment piece of it, I mean, you're talking about 15 years in sales at that point. So the and top performance too, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. but that's, that's 15 years of pressure and managing daily swings. I don't want to like kind of, you know, just repeat what I did in the article, but I, I misconstrued or misunderstood the idea of like how to handle those swings, which I, I think about when, when I watch training day, you know, the scene where Ethan Hawke talks about, uh, how he figured out the streets that it's just about controlling your smiles and your cries. Mm-hmm. It, so it's like the same kind of thing with selling, but I, I chose the wrong way to control air quotes around control, um, the swings. And I chose to freeze them out, which was. And the swings wrong. in this case being swings and emotion based on what's happening on the yeah, job. I and, suppose. Yeah. And not, but not just your performance, but also, you know, the environmental, the environments you worked in, the cultures you worked in and so on. Oh yeah. I mean, the, there's no support. There's no resources. Most of the time, the coaching that you're getting is, is fundamentally inaccurate and wrong. Um, and you know, for me, I didn't, I knew very early on that I didn't want to be a sales manager. And my, as I mentioned in the article, my last year selling, I, I hit my annual quota three months into the month. And so mm-hmm. there was a, there was a boredom aspect to it. Um, I like another story. I'm, I was on the Upper West Side and I was heading to a big law firm in Midtown, maybe probably downtown actually. And I was putting together my presentation in the cab on the way to the, the meeting. And it's like, at that point, it's, you know, you're now mind you, these are partners at some of the most prestigious law firms on the planet, like smart, brilliant people. But I, I, you know, it was just, it struck me as my gosh, is it, has it really come down to this that I can feel confident just putting this together and mind you nailed the meeting, but there's a big boredom piece to it. And then the hopelessness sets in when you look at like, what else do you do with, you know, the experiences that you've racked up so far. And so, especially when you associate so much value on your career, like, like I do. Um, so that was hard. And I will say that the icing, the the icing on the cake, um, was the, the me too movement and Trump getting elected and, recognizing the extent of like the brotopia in in San Francisco <laughs> where where I was brotopia. at the time and it was so there was a, you know a little bit of of PTSD you know tossed in there because when you ice your feelings out for a decade or more you know you don't i i there was a lot to process there was a lot to process and so i just realized i was out of my league and and sought help yeah well so two questions one is first i mean in that environment you talked about, uh, sort of the in the Brotopia in L.A., but or San Francisco, excuse me, but also in in New York before that, did you feel 
isolated being a woman in that environment? No, it wasn't about that. It was more, so there were two things. It was the results that you were getting because, or as a top performer, like it was the snickering about, oh, it's has something to do with the way that you look. Like that's why you're hitting your number. And, Mm. you know, that's a pretty pervasive um, thought. It's like, it gets in your head inception style. And so there was that piece of it. And then there was, um, you know, literally what you deal with from your prospects and sometimes clients as a female salesperson that is supposed to cater to, you know, your buyers. And I I was fortunate in the sense that I I had a director who became a VP that was a, a mentor of mine. And he after I told him one particular story was, thank God, was like, you know what, Amy, we don't need any business that badly. Like, walk so away. Like a prospect propositioning that, you? Or? Yeah, that was a prospect being very inappropriate. And you know, it was, it was beyond inappropriate that I actually said something about it because most of us are conditioned not to say anything about it. Um, and then the second piece well, of it- hopefully you know, we're changing that with- well. If you listened yeah. to our episode with Rachel May last week, yeah. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I love the comment thread on your LinkedIn um, profile about it. But yeah, so that was a big part. But then I also had a sales manager that was didn't want to hear about it and mm. wanted the. Uh, there was one deal that was pretty important, and we had worked on it for a while, and we had rented a black car to take um, this particular prospect out to to dinner. And he, I, everybody else had exited. And as I'm leaving, like literally pulled me onto his lap and tried to kiss me. And now this is happening as we're walking into the restaurant. Oh, shit. So this is somebody <laughs> you worked for. Yeah, this was. A, or your boss's boss. No, this was a client or a prospect. Oh, it was a client. Okay. Oh, sorry. This was a prospect, not a client even yet. And the the hard part about it was not what happened, but when I went to my manager about it, like it was, his response was get to close the deal, you know, and the under uh, the not spoken um, remainder of that sentence was, was at any cost necessary. I I mean, it was just insane. Like that's insane too. And this is, I imagine, and you know, following up again with the conversation with Rachel is you know, for most men, they just don't have any conception of what's going on and how often the women in sales confront this. You know, it's so funny that you're you're asking this question. I have no idea. I mean, have you seen any studies on this particular topic yet? No, because I think it's, it's, you know, people are afraid to report it. Yeah, I, it's there. So yeah, fear certainly, but a big piece of it is we have been reporting it and nothing changes. So well, why bother? Well, yeah. Well, I was being more encompassing. I was saying afraid of reporting. It's not just women, but I think it's back to the fear part with their managers is suddenly this is a black mark against them. So they just sweep it under the rug. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm, I'm, working on is, you know, picking the next topic to write about. And I'm full disclosure, going back and forth between, uh, gender and sales or, you know, the true impact of, of performance coaching. And I, I'm on the fence about it. I'm on the fence about it. They're two important topics 
I, I don't know, part of me feels like I'm still a little bit too angry to write about the gender stuff. Um, but I am reading this book. Way, I, yeah. And the, one of the books I'm reading is called Good and Mad. And it ta- it's like a deep dive into histories um, of like the, the transformational power of women's anger, mm-hmm. <laughs> which also gets brushed under the rug. So I don't know. I, 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 this is where the unlearning comes in. Like I'm challenging my own beliefs about um, is it where's the line about being mad? publicly, you know, how's that going to be con- conveyed or received, which is another part of it? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a good topic. I mean, I, I you know, you look at an example like Rachel, who just, you know, enough was enough, and did something that was fairly unprecedented, which was naming names. Um, and I, I think we're well past a point where we should be <laughs> seeing more of that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, people have to understand that they have to be, there are consequences for their actions. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it seems like a basic sort of parenting lesson. <laughs> but, know. you know, yeah. men have been enabled by culture to, to do these things and expect they get away with it. Well, how do you, how do you change that unless you call it out? Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's risky, right? It's, 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 you know, it's a, act of courage on Rachel's part, even though she had no doubt that her boss Keenan was going to back her up, but it was an act of courage. And it's she, and I, so I've connected with Rachel, um, since your show and she sent me the funniest message this morning about, uh, you know, taking our, our new, like it, relationship to the next level, but just joking around friendship, like let's have our first meeting. And so I'm excited about that next week to just to get to know this brave, courageous person that to your point, um, you know, said something about it when it's still not the norm to do so. So, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. think that that applies to for sharing your story, your mental health story. Absolutely. As well, Absolutely. Know? Well, I said no one escapes. That's the thing that yeah, I remember uh, early in my career, there was a guy that I, he was sort of a peer from an age group perspective, but you know, he had this amazing facility with people, right? He just made people feel instantly comfortable, and, and um, I didn't have that, right? I was sort of the opposite. I was an introvert, and sales from the beginning was extremely hard, and sort of going against type for me. And I thought, you know, this guy's got it. But I, yeah, learned subsequent and so on that, yeah, he was really struggling. Yeah, so superficially it looked, looked fine, but, you know, he was struggling. And I've you know, had numerous people I've managed that, you know, have had addiction issues or, you know, other mental health challenges. Um, yeah, I had myself, I mean, I, I, well into my career, when I was traveling hundreds of thousands of miles per year around the world selling stuff, I went to the airport one day, and I got on the plane, and I had to get off. Out of the blue. Had an anxiety attack. I'd never had one before. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's so true. It's and this, this so happened true. before 9-11. So, but even then, they weren't happy to have somebody sit on the plane, then at the last minute, hop up and, and leave. But I just couldn't have stayed on the plane. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so what did you do? How did you connect the dots between what was happening and like anxiety attack? Well, 
I figured out pretty quickly it wasn't a heart attack. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, and I just it was sort of clear to me it's exactly what it was. And so yeah, so that yeah, over a period of time led to me seeking help you know, to to deal with some of that. Yeah. Because in my business, like I couldn't not get on airplanes. Right. And uh but yeah, there was a period of a number of years where yeah, flying was extremely challenging. Yeah. So I, I just a quick rephrase on the on the question. I I I should have been clearer, and that was there's a disconnect between you know feeling a certain way and taking a moment to um, you know really think about where that feeling is coming from. And I, I'm going to oh, bring this yeah. back to my story. And well, I can I can relate it. To, I mean, to your point is is yeah. I mean, there's things I talked before. Is this is uh going on in my my marriage that were extremely difficult and in addition working at a you know high stress startup job and and uh yeah i mean there are lots of contributing factors I and mean, it didn't just materialize out of out of nowhere yeah yeah so <laughs> that's uh, definitely the truth it takes a little bit of time to kind of build up to that point but i think that what's m- more hopeful or worth noting at this moment is how quickly anxiety evaporates when you connect it to a source. Um, and I experienced this for the first time probably about three or four months ago. And it was in the context of uh, this phenomenal web- website, which I got I to gotta mention. It's called workresponsibly.org. And it's designed beautifully. It wins awards for, for the website. But anyway, it's a curated um, collection of resources about how to work responsibly. And one of them is called youfeellikeshit.com. And the (laughs) idea is you're supposed to go in, in the moment that you feel like shit and it, Mm -hmm. it like walks you through, okay, have you eaten? When was the last time you've eaten? Right. Go Mm -hmm. eat. When was the last time that you, um, you know, had something to drink, go get something to drink. How, how much sleep did you get last night? And, and I, I mentioned this moment because I, I don't necessarily, I don't, anxiety was never one of the things for me. Um, delighted to talk about some of those symptoms, but anxiety wasn't one of them. However, I, I recognized when I, when I, when it started and it was unusual. And so I walked through these steps and then I got to the third step on again, you feel like shit.com. And they said, (laughs) they asked you about your sleep. And I realized that I I didn't sleep well the night before. And that is something actually that I have struggled with. Mm -hmm. And I know better that right around three o'clock, that's when like, for me personally, the paranoia kicks in. And so in that moment though, when I connected the dots between the way that I'm feeling right now, again, which is that function of step one, get present and evaluate to, okay, where did this feeling come from? It evaporated. I mean, I, I've never experienced anything with, like it. It just dissipated in like two seconds. And I also feel like we're not talking about, um, you know, some of the easy ways to kind of manage in real time, like the feelings that you're having. Yeah. Well, there's all these tools out there. I mean, I've I've got my Headspace uh, subscription, my Calm subscription. Yeah, I nice. do the breathing exercises. I love the breathing exercise on Calm. Um, 
you know, I was talking to a, a friend who's president of a high-profile startup in San Francisco, and yeah, for him, it's I don't know, 10, 15 minutes a day with Headspace. Yeah, you know, it's just been the way to sort of you know keep all the keep all the beasties at bay. Yeah, I it, it's a great one. Do you, Andy? Would you mind if I like maybe list out a couple more that have worked for me? Sure. Um, so I think just kind of staying true to those steps. Um, co- as I said, CBT therapy, cognitive behavior therapy is. Yep incredible. Um, and I'll even take it a step further for those that have never, um, participated in talk therapy. It it can be annoying to connect with the right therapist. And so sometimes there's a a period of, you know, just kind of like dating around for a while for lack of a Mm -hmm. better analogy. However, better help, um, had, has really done a phenomenal job with their onboarding, and connecting process. So, you know, shockingly, technology kind of helps to make things better um, when used appropriately. So BetterHelp will help hack that, um, you know, that that dating period. And, right. and they really do a phenomenal job connecting you with, with somebody that specializes or has an expertise in what you describe. So BetterHelp.com. Yeah, BetterHelp.com. Okay. Also very timely. Well, I think there are other things, though, too. Is, uh, it was sort of Alluded to in the the TED talk you, you linked to Sean Aker, um, which I'd read about earlier in the pandemic, and I think just you know f- made so much sense. Which was um, first of all, turn off Twitter, <laughs> yeah. and as you you know, you just have to sort of quiet the noise. And you know, what he talked about is is, and I think it's another thing that's important is, and this was somebody advice given by psychologists back in March. I'd read that. You know, read enough to stay safe, and then that's it in terms of the, the daily news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's... And, yeah, I think it's, as you referred to earlier, I mean, everybody's been feeling these attendant anxieties uh, during COVID, literally everyone. Um, and, yeah, you need to take steps to, yeah, keep everything in check. Yeah, it's it's spot on. And I, I actually want to put a, a pin next to the the social media or specifically LinkedIn, um, because I think that's a key piece of this topic that's worth noting. But yeah, quieting the noise is massive. I, I think I, my time selling information services like that, that changes you. And so mm-hmm. you just learn, you interact with information or data differently when you know how to, you know, assign a dollar amount to its value, which is a function, by the way, of connecting it to business decisions and the person making the decision in that moment. So real time. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I've now is like really cultivated a very healthy disdain for both white noise and misinformation. And so it plays nicely though into this step two, which is eliminate. So cut out social media. That was a big part for phase one for me. I mean, I'm still not back on Facebook or, or Instagram, um, and like tiptoeing around LinkedIn, if I'm being honest, but it's also the newsfeed to your point. And I'll even take it a step further. Like I actually canceled or, uh, you know, paused my subscription to Netflix and HBO so that I could triple down on like reading books right now, mm-hmm. which is something that I had identified as uh, during evaluate phase is something that, you know, recharges me. And so that's been an 
a fun way to kind of, you know, push the boundaries, my own personal boundaries on eliminating something that I love for a short period of time to, you know, kind of hack the, whatever kind of results I'm, I'm looking for on the performance or mental health side. So that's been amazing too. Yeah. Well, we're going to, unfortunately running out of time, but, um, we're going to continue this conversation. We'll have you back again and we'll, we'll spend some more time talking about it. It's, it's, um, such an important topic and it's so tied into performance and increasingly that's topic we're dealing with here on the show is how do we improve performance? And there's so many dimensions to it that don't include making more calls. So, um, we'll start with that yeah. sort of a positive yeah. that, and then we'll, we'll move on from there. So Amy, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Well, thank you, Andy. It's been a pleasure, a true pleasure to, to be here. Thank you. And if people want to connect with you, LinkedIn, best way to do it? LinkedIn is the best way to do it. Also, I'm uh, I'm very active as the channel director for the AE channel on this sales hacker community. So Got it. you can come play with us over there too. All right. Perfect. Amy, thank you. Thank you, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. We're so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our special guest, Amy Rohovchik, for sharing her story with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you could also leave us a rating or review and let us know how we're doing, we'd certainly appreciate that. You can do that all on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thanks for your help, and thank you so much for investing your time with us today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.